Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Link Podcast, the industry's link to learn, innovate news and knowledge in global supply chain intelligence, hosted by Food Logistics and Supply and Demand Chain Executive. We cover everything from transportation and warehousing trends and new technologies to food safety and sustainability impacting today's supply chains. I'm Brielle Jekyll, Associate Editor of Food Logistics and SDCE. And in this episode, I speak with Angela Fernandez, VP of Community Engagement at GS1, and Ian Hess, Senior VP of Brokerage Operations at Nolan Transportation. We talk all about visibility in logistics. These two interviews provide unique perspectives into the industry, one from a tech and consulting point of view, and another from a 3PL provider who is on the floor using these solutions. So let's link into those interviews now. Hi, everyone. I'm Brielle Jekyll. I'm the Associate Editor uh, of SDCE and Food Logistics, and I'm here with Angela Hernandez from GS1 US, which is a global standards um, organization. Uh, And we're going to talk today a little bit about uh, barcodes and visibility in the supply chain and how, you know, we're going to debunk quite a few misconceptions because I know that GS1 recently issued a statement um, saying that, you know, this this trend kind of popped up on social media that people were saying you can figure out the country of origin um, on through your uh, a barcode, but but I, I've seen that GS1 is saying that's wrong. Um, so do you want to um, just uh, tell us a little bit of, about some misconceptions that you think should could be cleared up that people, you know, believe? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. Um, I guess just to start off, I would just provide a little bit more framework around um, around the GS1 organization and our global standards for all of your listeners. Um, as a global standards organization, we focus on identification of products, locations, assets to be used across um, supply chain operations. We have standards that um, are utilized in 150 countries today uh, across 25 different industries. So we've got offices that support all of our customers across 114 different countries today. So when we look at the barcode, and yes, you're right, the misconception of folks thinking that they can look at a barcode and tell if it came from a specific part of the world is unfortunately a, a misconception. All of the offices that I just mentioned, the 114 around the world, can offer what we call a global company prefix. It's the first set of numbers that you actually see when you pick up an item and look at the barcode. So while a company may do business or that brand may be stationed in that country, that does not mean that they're manufacturing the products there. It just means that they chose to get their prefix from that specific office where that that was designated for. So it will, the license that we provide for that prefix will tell you who owns the prefix, but they could have operations across the world. They could have operations across multiple cities in a country. And it's not going to tell you where the product was manufactured, just who owns that product. And that's common. So more often than not, is it that the, the barcode, it does not relate to where it was manufactured because most organizations have, you know, global operations. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe I'll take a minute just to kind of break down the the structure of a barcode and then I'll use an example uh, to make it relatable, right? So um, when you look at a barcode, it really has three components to it. 
The first is what I was just mentioning, what we call the GS1 company prefix. That's what we assign to brands. So that is what tells us when we look at a barcode, who actually owns this product, okay. right? The second set of numbers, the middle part of the number, if you will, is what we call an item reference number. So that is a number that I as a brand would, would put in there. And typically brands use their own internal SKU numbers to populate that part of the number. And then the last digit is what we call a check digit. And that is calculated through an algorithm created by the standard to then ensure that that number is globally unique. So that if that item is coming into the US or it's going to Europe or it's going to China, it's read and understood the same way anywhere in the world. And what that number represents is that specific item. So that it denotes that this is product A manufactured by this vendor and um, then you can put additional information around that as far as like the nutrition fact panel, right? Claims around that item. Um, but it all ties back to that one global unique identifier for that item. So it's interpreted and understood by consumers and trading partners around the world effectively. Mm -hmm. I just find that so interesting that there's like a, a clear method to a barcode because most people don't even think about that. They just think that it's random, but there's actually a method to the madness. Um, yeah. so that's really, okay. <laughs> really interesting. Um, I was going to say, I'm sorry, I was just going to add the one example around um, getting back to the misconception, right? Think of private brands or private labels. The Walmart, Kroger, Target, right? All of the big retailers or even food service operators, right? When you look at TGI Fridays and some of the others that we actually see as consumers being sold, their numbers are on there. They're the brand owner, but they could have multiple suppliers manufacturing that product for them. So that just goes back to the point of that barcode number is really going to tell you who owns the product, not where or who manufactured it. Right. So for visibility in terms of consumers and buyers and stuff, how do you feel that technology is offering uh, visibility? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, in light of what we're going through right now with COVID-19 and the pandemic and then looking at you know, the pending traceability rules that we have coming from the Food Safety Modernization Act, um, there's definitely a drive to modernize our food supply chains. We're seeing demand at a level that many of us have not expected when we look at our retail consumer piece. Um, food service, it's a little bit different. There's a demand definitely from a digital standpoint, but product information is very much needed. Um, it needs to be electronic. We need to be able to put it in the hands of the consumer. And I think that a lot of the newer technologies are really, if they're not already embraced by some of the leading organizations and other players in the supply chain, they're definitely being evaluated, right? Things such as uh, blockchain technology, radio frequency identification. We now have sensors um, that we can put on to be able to tell the temperature of a product as it's moving from one location to another. And getting all of those analytics and data points is going to help us ensure that we've got safe food that we can either deliver to the consumer or put inside of our dishes if we're preparing them in a food service environment. But it'll also let us know where those items are, right? So if you think about um, what has changed with the demand 
uh, with the pandemic and how we shop today for our groceries, right? Some of our local grocery stores are becoming fulfillment centers mm -hmm. and they need uh, to know exactly what they've got in the shelf, how they can fulfill the orders, how they can minimize the substitutions to us as consumers. And the way they do that is through some of those newer technologies to have real time visibility around the items that they've got available. Mm -hmm. So kind of tying into, sorry if I'm throwing you off, but um, just tying into misconceptions and technology together. So like you as a consumer, I mean, in the age of the internet, we have, have all this information at our fingertips, you know, whenever we want to check. So as a consumer, if I want to know where my product is being made, what, what can I do? Like how is there, is there ways for me to be able to see where my product come from, comes from? Or is it kind of just, you know, you have your product? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say on um, most consumer items, if you look on the label, it's usually underneath the ingredient fact panel that'll tell you exactly where it was manufactured at. And so if, um, I think that plays into probably the piece that I was just referencing on the pandemic. And I heard someone say this to me and it really resonated, um, which is the pandemic has really forced some of the trends that we thought were going to gain more traction in the next one or two years to really come at us now, right? right? We've had to really become digital and meeting the consumer in a very different way. And for those companies that had those channels open, it was easier for them to make that shift to be able to reach the consumer through those channels and those lines than it is for those that may not have those fully developed yet. So Think about your own experience and doing your online grocery shopping now. When you see the product that is there as you're shopping for your items and you click on it, getting all the information as to what's on that nutrition fact panel, where it was manufactured, um, the claims that they've got on it, whether it's gluten-free, right, GMO, all of those things um, can be provided by retailers and most of them are looking at extending that information or getting it populated very quickly if they had not yet had the opportunity to. Yeah, consumers today, they want, you know, as much information as they can get about their products, especially their food. But it's funny that you mentioned, you know, the grocery stores pivoting to, you know, delivery because I had recently um, had an experience and I blogged, I, I wrote like a little short personal story about it on our, our site um, on food logistics because I was having trouble finding home delivery for groceries because everything was just totally like there were no times available. And I happened to find a grocery distributor that was switching to direct to consumer. And I had to, because they had never done it before. They hadn't even like, they don't have consumer customers before this. I did not know what I was buying because they couldn't really give a lot of description because they quickly switched. So I got a gigantic crate of corn and I am, we have, we were wondering what country it's from because it's, you know, at that time it wasn't corn, you know, in New Jersey where I live. Um, so like we had no visibility on it at all. We just like had to hope. And then I, I got this gigantic crate. It was this big of corn or <laughs> my freezer, freezer was just full of corn. <laughs> So you fed your entire neighborhood then? <laughs> yes, I fed my whole family and extended family. <laughs> yes. Well, and I mean, you're bringing up another interesting point right on that shift. And I think that is some of the good work that we've seen from the industry, right? So as a voluntary standards organization, our standards are created by industry for industry. 
So we have our retail grocery customers that have come together, our food service customers that have come together, trying to see how they can further leverage the standards, incorporate some of those technologies to deal with these times. And I mean, even look at some of the things like the Food Marketing Institute and the International Food Service Distributors Association is doing with trying to reallocate food, right? If we've got suppliers that have been feeding the food service supply chain and the demand has lessened there, how do we then switch over our manufacturing lines to be able to produce those retail items or produce more of the retail items that we have um, so we can allocate that shift in demand and get that product into a supply chain where the demand truly is needed. And the standards have been very instrumental in helping that shift and that process for the companies that have the ability to do that. Yeah, it's really, you're right. It's been amazing to see the shift. And it's, it's also interesting you know, to, you, you don't really think about the way it works, but now it's, you know, you have like a distributor going to direct to consumer. I also um, wrote an article about high-end logistics and, and Delta told a story to me that they had all this extra food for their first class um, flights and their private flights. They had all this, you know, gourmet food that they, you know, nobody's flying right now. So it was all going to go to waste. So they donated it. And there's a lot, there's a lot of companies doing stuff like that. And I, I find it really interesting, um, you know, to food banks and stuff. So it's nice to see everyone coming together and, you know, and now everyone's focused on the supply chain more than ever. I mean, I don't think the supply chain has ever been this visible before. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Very true. Um, now going, um, back on track. So back to, um, technology and visibility in the supply chain, do you, how do you feel barcode specifically can fit, fit into the modernization and the, and the technological you know, future of, the, of visibility? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say that um, you know, the, the barcodes, which as consumers we don't typically think about, right? We just expect them to work when we go to use them. Um, but they really are instrumental, right? So if you look at how our standards create that globally unique identification, that's one aspect of it. But you've got to be able to put it physically on the product to make that match from the digital to the physical information. So this is where the GS1 barcodes have really been able to enable that in an automated way right, so that it helps get us away a little bit from some of the analog or paper-based systems with being able to just go beep and bring that information directly into our systems. And, you know, barcodes were created, um, you know, with our standard close to 45 years ago by the retail industry and are still very prevalent today. There's probably about 6 billion scans that happen around the world on a daily basis. And we're talking barcodes, not only that we use as consumers, but what's happening in the supply chain um, at the case and at the pallet level to keep the product moving or diverting it into the new supply chain that we were just talking about. And I think that it will continue to be instrumental as technology evolves. We do have some customers that have barcodes and RFID on, on a lot of their uh, logistics units that are moving through the supply chain so that those that have made the investment in RFID can also be able to read that information in an automated way. So I think we will continue to have um, a lot of use of barcodes as we move forward and looking at how that then helps springboard to the next technology just to keep the efficiencies on automation of that physical item mapped to the digital information that we're passing to each other and sharing. So the barcode isn't going to retire anytime soon. 
It is not. Well, think about your own experience as a, as a consumer, right? I remember, you know, shopping maybe 10 years ago, right? You go into the produce section of a grocery store and all of that loose produce that you had there just had a sticker on it with four or five different numbers on it, right? The, the PLU, the price lookup number. And so you always knew when you picked up the bananas, the 4011 was there. And that was nice. It was a commodity identifier. But what we've seen in the age of traceability is now you see a barcode on there, right? And we have for, for the past couple of years. And that barcode will actually tell you if they're your bananas or my bananas, right? So now we're getting into tying in the owner of that item at point of sale for the consumer, which not only has benefits to the retailer and supplier, so we can see what our sales look like, but also to the consumer. So in case there is a question or an outbreak that needs to be investigated, we're able to do the trace back and inform properly as to who might actually have a product that's in question. Oh, interesting. So that, so it will, it'll be a lot easier to track, you know, where any kind of outbreak can, can, comes from if it's food related. It could, especially now that we've start to see some of those commodities. So commodities, I'd say, right, the perimeter of the grocery store, not only the produce that I was talking about, but you think of the deli counter, right, or the bakery um, areas where traditionally they were just a generic number that identified that type of item, not whose item, right, within that. And that's been the shift that we, we have seen taking place, again, to help enhance the traceability um, processes across the supply chain and ultimately for the consumer. Yeah. yeah. So you have already kind of touched on my last question, but um, what do you, what do you, how do you predict the long-term future will be in terms of visibility in the supply chain and barcodes? Well, I would venture to say that the uh, pandemic we've experienced has definitely further highlighted the right. opportunities that we have for visibility. I think um, technologies are continuing to advance and become much more, much more cost efficient for organizations, mm -hmm. but we're all still creating our new normal. And I do believe that we're gonna continue to enhance traceability, whether it is being able to invest in some of those technologies that give us greater visibility and a more effective um, way, such as you know RFID or sensors and bringing a lot of different technologies around data in the supply chain together to inform us or we're talking about the technologies to serve the consumer in, in our new world, right? So I would talk about our, our food service friends for a little bit. They've seen an increase in delivery by about 20% since this um, outbreak, which has given them new opportunities with, within those channels. But I think as we start to go back, while they're only able to serve half of the restaurant, I think we're gonna see a lot more digital kiosks menu boards, right, to help with contactless operations, if you will. And I think going back to retail, which has experienced a boost, retail grocery sectors, what we've seen with, with the pandemic is there's kind of been a skew rationalization, right? We as consumers have demanded so much personalization of the items that we desire or wish to purchase. And we really had to almost get back to basics with this, just to keep the store shelves stocked. Mm -hmm. And I think that that will also be a trend that we're going to continue to see 
um, where we've just got those mainstream items and the focus on personalization is going to keep shifting back. We're not going to get back there quite as quickly as we were pre-COVID-19, if you will. Um, and I think that's going to enable us to continue our advancement and some of the visibility opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to a lot of others and I, I heard, you know, distribute um, people want to be closer to the di distributors now. I mean, everyone's talking about, should we bring everything back to, you know, uh, away from offshore and, and, you know, kind of maintain more control over the logistics process itself. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see where it will go in the future. I mean, yeah, you definitely saw so many um, grocery store retailers or, you know, restaurants just kind of immediately adopt technology to go, to be able to, you know, change their operations up. And, and it's interesting to see how it shifted so fast and what will happen in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's exciting times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Another shift for us all to work towards. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I think I just want to thank you for the opportunity to help share a little bit more information and, uh, provide a little bit more information around some of the misconceptions that we're hearing and just um, be focused on how we can continue to get accurate and complete data into the hands of the consumers and us as trading partners so we continue to, to deliver. Well, thank you for uh, decoding the barcode for us. <laughs> <laughs> you are most welcome. Appreciate the opportunity. Hi guys, I'm here with Ian Hess right now uh, to get an on the ground perspective of visibility and logistics. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, Ian is the brokerage operations VP at Nolan Transportation. So right off the bat, Ian, I just want to ask you, do you, have you seen any major misconceptions in visibility and technology for the 3PL sector? In terms of technology, I don't hear too many uh, misconceptions. I think one of the misconceptions is there's more uh, uniformity in the space than people are uh, uh, less that I think the misconception is there's a lot of uniformity in the space, but in actuality, it's pretty fragmented. There's a lot of players offering different um, technologies to users. Um, I think one of the big misconception is probably the ease of use, right? It's a lot a lot of times, the driver will have to download an app on their phone. A lot of times, they're driving, you know, hauling loads, picking up, uh, making pickups, making deliveries. So I think the, a big misconception is that it, it's really easy to kind of integrate. It still involves a lot of manpower to get uh, drivers and carriers to use the uh, type of technology or the platform for uh, a specific shipper. Right, because mm -hmm. a lot of carriers they pick up for say five different shippers, and those five different shippers might require five different, um, you know, visibility platforms, whether it be Orkites, MacroPoint, Trucker Tools, whatever. So it, it, it's it is it, it's a great thing. Uh, visibility has helped a ton, but you know there are still people trying to adapt and get used to using those. Mm -hmm. all different sorts of technologies. Yeah, I know I frequent I frequently cover the fact that, you know, technology, not just visibility, but like all over the supply chain is kind of disjointed 
because no one's using the same platform. Everyone's using their own platform. But I never thought about how um, the actual drivers have to deal with that. That's interesting. Sure. And, you know, obviously there's kind of some, some GPS stuff and uh, other things that don't, you know, you can just put in the back of the truck that helps too. But, you know, a lot of the ones that people are using um, are dependent on the driver downloading an app or, or sending a text to a certain number. And, uh, you know, they're they're doing their day-to-day job. They're staying safe on the road. So, you know, to get them to pull over and, and download this app when they downloaded a different one a, a week ago can be certainly frustrating for them uh, and a challenge for us in the in the 3PL space. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what do you, what are some of the technologies that you use for visibility? Um, I mean, we use we use all of them, right? And, and um, it, it's really shippered and customer dependent what they're using with all their providers, right? You know, a certain shipper or customer wants all their providers to use the same one, right? So we'll mm-hmm. use, you know, whatever our, our shipper requires or whatever they ask, and if you know. They're not using one. We certainly suggest, you know, uh, a provider that's easy for us. But we're using oh. them all. I mean, we're using Trucker Tools. We're using Forkites. We're using MacroPoint. Um, you know, anything that's available, we're using the ELD. Oh, wow. So you are actually really the ones that have to deal with all these different – okay. So you have to you have to just – you just go with whatever the, the customer wants. Interesting. Sure. Yep. Do you um, do you know? Because I I I'm, we're including an interview with GS1 on this, uh, and we talk a little bit about barcodes. How do you, how do you guys deal with barcodes? How does it fit into all this? For us, you know, it, it, it's not uh, it's going to affect us, right? You know, in the okay. 3PL phase finding space finding capacity. You know, we're certainly familiar with it, but a huge. It's a huge advantage, um, especially in the, you know, food logistics, being able to scan in and out, you know, an item or, or whatever it is, a lot. When you put it on the truck, when you take it off the truck, and know exactly where that food came from and where uh, it's going. And, you know, especially where it came from in terms of if there's ever a recall, they can really get down to the source. But as far as how we're using it, you know, to be honest, we're not um, in our space. I can definitely see that. But, yeah, it's great for, especially for um, any kind of, yeah, recalls and stuff like that, like how specific. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, it's amazing. Like, not only can you tell what what form it came from, you know, you you can tell what field, what row, like you can really pinpoint exactly where, that came from, right? We we obviously, we all have a lot of food and produce, so we're very familiar with it as far as us, you know, using it, you know, we're hauling stuff with, you know, that is using barcode technology, but, um, you know, we're very familiar with it. It's really cool. It's super interesting. Yeah, it's really grown so much in a short time span, just like with all technology, I guess. <laughs> yes. So speaking of growing technology and visibility, where do you think um, this will go in the future? 
Um, I think it's going to be easier, to be honest. Um, just as time moves on, it's going to be easier. You know, whether it's an app or, you know, somebody kind of tracks through ELD, I think it's going to be easier for drivers to adapt to it. And as far as shippers and customers, I mean, it's going to be a 100% requirement. Uh, the days of, you know, let me call the driver and see where they are, are, are certainly uh, going to be be behind us, right? And, and we'll be able to know exactly where our, you know, where trucks are on the road, and, and mm -hmm. you know exactly when they delivered, exactly when they picked up. Uh, so I mean, it, it's it's moving forward, it's moving it's forward fast, and I think it's, it'll help it'll help everybody. It'll help our drivers, it'll help our carriers, it'll help us, and in the end, it'll help our our customers, you know, really have that real-time visibility in their supply chain every step of the way. Mm -hmm. So how does um, this kind of fit with uh, um, EDL? Uh, ELDs, the electronic logs. Yeah, sorry. So yeah, no problem. So they are, you know, as of whatever, a year and a half ago, every carrier is now required to have an electronic uh, log instead of, you know, a paper log. Uh, so, you know, that's a that's a government requirement, right? So you, some companies are starting to be able to integrate with those ELDs for tracking purposes, right? You know, they're electronic, they're in the truck, so, you know, instead of tracking a phone or putting a GPS uh, device in, in the back of the truck or, or in the trailer, you know, being able to integrate with these ELDs, you know, the, the system's already on board, you know, so if we can yeah. integrate with that. So it, it can integrate. Track. That's good. Correct. That's great. Well, I'm excited to see where it will go in the future. Hopefully it will make everyone's life easier. Yeah, I, I think it will. I think getting there will will provide some challenges, as always. Yeah, you know, new technology it always does. But you know, then it then it will be commonplace. Yeah, it's definitely been a big help during COVID. I know that. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for talking with me. I think that's all I have time for today. Um, Absolutely, yeah, I appreciate the call. Yeah. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to today's episode. And thank you again to my guests for giving us all that insight into visibility and logistics. Don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for our episodes of Link uh, by Food Logistics and Supply and Demand Chain Executive. Uh, and then also, we now have our Link Educate episodes coming out later on in the week. Uh, and don't forget to hit subscribe on the Apple and Google podcast apps so you never miss an episode.